going to have a panel session. And the Lord put this on my heart. And uh, I thought we could learn as much from them as you're going to get out of me. Because they've done it. And uh, so I, I'm going to, uh, I've asked them each for, to do three things for you. Um, and um, we're going to go through those three things they're going to share. Um, the first, first let me though introduce them to you and then I'll tell you what they're going to do. Um, this is my advisory board. These are the ones that give me the wisdom. This is my team. These are the ones that give me the wisdom to proceed, to build, to do things right, to make, not to make mistakes, but to make a difference in the lives of you all. And uh, they commit a tremendous amount of time and energy to help me build this ministry. And I count on their wisdom. This is my macro wisdom. This is as good as it gets for me. Because they've all done this. They all have pursued what you're learning. Uh, they're not, they haven't arrived. These are achievers, but they know they haven't arrived. You never arrive. But they are moving in and segueing into the ultimate. And uh, because they have the maximum maxed. They have the system in place. But let me introduce them to you. I, I could, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be where we are today as a ministry, as a ministry institute, if it wasn't for the wisdom of these. Now, there's several that are missing, and I'll explain to you who they are and where they are and why they're not here. Uh, but this is, I wanted you to meet them. I wanted you to know that, uh, particularly for you partners who have invested so much of your own prayers and encouragement and finances into the building of the Ministry Institute to be that worldwide initiative, which we are. Uh, I wanted you to know who they are. I want you to know their heart. I want you to know how hard they fought this battle, and, uh, but they haven't arrived. Uh, so first of all, uh, we, we've seated in alphabetical order here, but uh, Pastor Mark Howard and his wife Linda from Church for All Nations in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh, Pastor Mark will be on the panel tomorrow with Jim Tomerlin because he has four multi-sites, uh, four satellite <coughs> ministries that comprise his ministry. And Pastor Mark uh, is, uh, has been on my advisory board for quite some time and uh, has, has um, ministered to Carol and I and provided us tremendous wisdom, as have the other two. The next is Pastor uh, Jonathan Del Turco and his wife, Verna. She's not here. They just had uh, a grandbaby, uh, number four. They're very prolific. <laughs> and and uh, Verna is... There'll be a, a what? A media presentation of your kids, your grandkids. Yeah, okay. Um, but Pastor Jonathan pastors in Boston. Uh, International Family Church, and he and Verna, again, have poured into our lives, have been so faithful, um, hosts in Boston, hosts the training, does the interim trainings in Boston, and um, next to him is Pastor J.B. Whitfield, our host here, and why don't you join me right now and thank him and his wife, Susan. <laughs>
way back also, um, when I used to come here years ago. He was a young man when I first came here. <laughs> and we've kind of grown up together, haven't we, Susan? <laughs> and uh, pastor, uh, pastor's here at Agape Faith Church, and uh, he'll be on the panel tomorrow because he's planning to go uh, multi-site. So you'll, you, the, the benefit of that, we'll, be get, we'll get the one doing it and then the one planning And actually, Pastor Del Turco is planning on doing it too. So maybe we should have you on that panel too. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, but these are my, I wanted to share a couple of scriptures with you just so that you understand what my heart is here and what I'm trying to do. And, and so I don't misrepresent them. They know that they haven't arrived, uh, but they are achievers. They've plowed through and they've done it. They've done it. And uh, so I am calling them the achievers panel, but they're, and they're now going for the ultimate. But as, as Paul said in Philippians 3, 13, um, trying to do this without my glasses, exerting all his strength and pressing on with intense concentration in order not to fall short of the goal that Christ has set for their life. And in Philippians also, not that I have already obtained it, they know they haven't obtained it, or have already become perfect, they know that they're not perfect, but they sure have accomplished a lot. Uh, but I press on in order that I may hold, may, may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, yet but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God. And again in the Message Bible, which... Uh, I'm going to share with you. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrous, wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, but I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. So that would be my message to you, and that's why I wanted them to share with you. I've asked them to, to share three things, and we'll go through those uh, sequentially. And Now, we were to have two others, well, one other with us, and uh, that was Pastor Gary Cassie from Faith Life Church in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, he's the one that said he quit and he came to his first training. And he said, I can't take this anymore. And his wife, Trenda, you heard her last year. She shared her testimony. Their testimony was shared by, uh, to, the, to the group. And he said, I, you know, I had, I had a church and it was uh, 350, 400 people. We were growing pretty well. Uh, he said, but um, I couldn't take it anymore. There was so much crisis and chaos and confusion and micro minutia junk and he said and I just hated it and it was ruining my family and he said and I wouldn't I wasn't going to let anything ruin my family and he said and so I I wrote my letter of resignation the night I came this is for the benefit of you new CEOs that are here they've heard it uh, but he said I was not going to let that happen and I wrote my letter of resignation the night before I came 
to the, to the, uh, to the trip. My wife stayed up all night and prayed and begged me to go. And on the way there, I told her, I wrote my letter of resignation, I'll go with you, but I'm finished. I've had it. And he came back six months later, like you new CEOs will have an opportunity to do. Come back in six months and get more of this. Uh, or go anywhere in the world and get more of this. All over America, uh, we have sites that these gentlemen host. So he, he came back six months later. He said, can I share a testimony? And I said, yes, sir, help yourself. And he said, well, he said, I wrote my letter of resignation. He said, he, everything I just told you. And he said, but um, I, I, I quit the ministry. I wrote my letter of resignation. But he said, I, I came to the training and I got hope and I got newfound confidence. But he said, I refused to take the mess from this place. I, they had land paid for. They had, I don't know, 28-some acres in Columbus in a, a high-rent district suburb. Uh, they had uh, the building elevations were done. So the land was paid for. The building was, the elevations were there. And he said, Drenda and I refused to walk the land for two years and refused to look at those elevations because I would, I refused to take the dysfunction from this place to a bigger place. And God stole his vision. And so we can't let that happen to you CEOs. And uh, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity uh, tonight at the fellowship just to take you and these gentlemen are going to talk to you about an opportunity that they took advantage of. And uh, I just want you to be encouraged. You know, this, is, this can be overwhelming. Some of you have already said that. Um, you've said it very kindly, though. They were a little bit more abusive when they said it. But uh, uh, the three things that I've asked them to share. Uh, the first is, what is God speaking to you? We go, you guys, and we, Carol and I too, we go to ministers' conferences and we hear great men and women of God share what God's speaking to them. These are great men of God. And they're, they're my advisors. They're as good as it gets, in my opinion, uh, from an integrity, from a pursuit perspective, from a learning perspective, and from a counsel perspective. They're as good as it gets. And so I wanted you to hear what God is speaking to them. And they'll each speak for about 10 minutes what God's been putting on their heart. Then the second thing I ask them to do is I want you to share, as you are now entrepreneurs, becoming serial entrepreneurs, as you're becoming real visionaries, as you're in a position now to be greater visionaries, greater entrepreneurs, and to be facilitators of your ministry, not just leaders, what has God given you to do? What, how are things changing? What is he pouring on? They're going to share that. And then thirdly, I said, just pick something that you think would bless the audience. So uh, Pastor C is not here. He missed his flight. And um, Pastor Vance and Kathy are also on the advisory board. Uh, they're brand new. They just met these. Some of these they knew, but some they didn't met today. So we're cutting them a little slack. And uh, we'll work them over next time we get together. Uh, but uh, Kathy and, and uh, Keenan Vance, they pastor in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and uh, have a tremendous church there, tremendous work of God. And they, too, in just the short time that God divinely connected us, uh, they have provided tremendous 
wisdom and counsel and effort on our behalf, on the behalf of the Ministry Institute. So we welcome them, and now we're going to hear from these gentlemen. And we'll start with you, Pastor Coward, what God has been speaking to your heart. Well, it's a blessing to be with all of you, and um, I'm so encouraged to see so many people here. And uh, one of the things that's really been on my heart um, my wife and I have been in uh, ministry as senior pastors over 23 years. And one of the things that the Lord has spoken to me is to get back to our first love. And one of the things that I think is such a challenge is to get so busy for God, you don't have time to be with him. And one of the reasons we have a ministry is because of our relationship with him. And uh, throughout the trainings over the years, we learn how to do things better, more efficiently, for one reason, to preserve our intimacy with him. And uh, I was just thinking about this scripture, and that's one of the things I appreciate about Dean. I want to read this scripture to you that uh, Jesus talked about Matthew 22 and verse 36. And he was asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And uh, it, it really is a challenge to keep that because the, the thing in our own hearts is we desire to please the Lord so much that we can actually get in a place where we schedule him, or I should say he doesn't even get in the schedule. We're too busy for him. And so that's a great challenge that I really am just getting back to the place to just be in love with him is my heavenly father. Daniel 11.32 says the people that do know their God, they'll be strong and do exploits. So when we start to get into a place of weakness or when I start to get into a place of weakness, the first thing we have to do is how's the intimacy level been with the Lord? And I got to thinking about it. What happens if at the end of the day we all build a big ministry and have big buildings and even saw a lot of people saved? But what if I miss the greatest thing of all? Because Jesus said this is eternal life, that they might know you. And when uh, Daniel 11.32 says, the people that do know their God shall be strong, that Hebrew word know is the same word in Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew Eve, was intimate with her, and they conceived, and she bare a son. So really, great ministry is birthed out of intimacy with the Lord, and that's, that's the one thing that is so strong on my heart. And here's some of the things I just want to challenge you with. Quit, quit being driven by the tyranny of the urgent. Have you ever noticed, uh, and I guess all of us have probably been there before, that when something's going on in a person's life, to them it's the most important thing. And if you don't share that, there can sometimes be some anger about that. And one thing as a pastor, as a leader that I learned a long time, it's not my job to meet everybody's needs. Amen. It is my job to make sure that those needs get, but I am not the need meter. And, you know, we have to guard against codependent ministry. You know, there's a lot of people that need to be needed. And I don't want to connect people to me per se. I want to connect them to God. 
And then if you connect them to God, they'll be a lot more of a blessing to you. They'll be burden bearers instead of burdens. They'll be your errands and hers. Uh, seek first the kingdom. Lay aside the weights. There's so many weights that we pick up. By the way, as I'm sharing this with you, um, Dean mentioned someone that had a Ph.D. in dysfunction. That was actually me. Uh, and also, dysfunction on steroids. Because we were only doing what we were taught to do. And some things are better caught than uh, taught. Dysfunction is caught very easily. So you have to detox from that mentality and ministry lifestyle. Uh, lay aside the weights and the distractions. If there's one tool the enemy has for your life to beset you, to deceive you, it's distraction. Mark chapter 4, Matthew 13, Luke chapter 8, parable of the soils, parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus said, look, if you don't get this parable, you're not going to get anything else I share with you. And he said, the cares of this life, there was nothing wrong with the word of God in any one of those scenarios, but three out of four times it failed to produce and it was environment that caused it to fail. One of those was distractions. The enemy is very good at distractions. So lay aside the weights, the distractions. Run with patience, perseverance. If you write that word down, persevere, severe circumstances. You have to press on through that. But I love what Ecclesiastes says. If you don't sharpen the axe, then more effort's required to cut the tree down. You know, I was a little boy. My dad came from a logging mill in Alabama. And uh, one time I wanted to cut a tree down with an axe. So my dad kind of got a grin on his face. And uh, it was a fairly dull axe. And I about wore myself out. And, and that's the way life and that's the way ministry is. If we don't have wisdom, if we don't have these processes, these systems in place wear ourselves out in ministry and the statistics today are bearing that out um, one of the things I'll share with you I believe in getting the greatest return it's called the Pareto principle that we've talked about a lot and it's in the coachings and the, the trainings but the Pareto principle basically it's the 2080 principle if you'll invest in your top 20 percent of your priorities you get an 80 percent return but let's put that in light of loving the Lord with all of our heart. I think it was Martin Luther that said he had such a busy day that he had to get up four hours earlier so he would have more time in prayer. And we've done the opposite in this Western world. Well, I don't have time to pray because I've got so much to do. And we're not investing. And, and if you invest in your lower 80% of priorities, you get a 20% return. Yeah. So we're really being foolish if we don't love the Lord with all of our heart, our strength, our soul, and our mind. Do you know why God told us to do it? Because it's the best thing for us. And you'll find that 20% of your people are carrying 80% of your ministry load right now. And that's the ones you need to be investing in. You know, coach, teach, train, and mentor them. You know, one time as a pastor, I finally woke up one day and I realized all the time I was spending with people or with people that, A, weren't even in the church to begin with. They were the, the, the floaters. They float in and float right out. The cruisomatics, you know, they cruise in and cruise out. And I was gobbling up so much time with them. 
And so invest in your top 20% priority with the Lord, but then also in your top 20% because what the Lord has given you is going to get off into them. They'll begin to replicate that same thing. Um, Jack Welch said this. Uh, Brother Dean has been talking about Jack Welch. If they're, you know, I think everybody agrees he was the CEO of all CEOs of all time when he was at the helm at, at GE. But he said, if change is happening on the outside faster than on the inside, the end is in sight. So, yeah, I'll say that again. If change is happening on the outside faster than on the inside, the end is in sight. That's why you have to invest yourself in this stuff. But first, we invest in God. That's getting back to that, that first love. And uh, always, just a couple things I'll share as I close my part of it here. When you determine your priorities, we know the Lord's first, but what is it that you are called to do that no one else can do? Because there are some things that only you can do. No one can give you that intimacy with the Lord other than you. And so those things that you don't have to be doing, delegate those out, and then that way you won't debilitate the ministry. Another little thing that I think is real good is identify your top five vulnerabilities. Take the time personally, identify your top five vulnerabilities, because you know what they are. We all do. Yeah. The word vulnerable comes from a Latin word that means to wound. So if you will look at your top five vulnerabilities, there's your future wounding, unless you deal with those. Then when you identify those top five vulnerabilities, turn those into your top five priorities. And I, I promise you, if you will focus on them, you will accomplish them. But whether that's your family, whether it's your health, your finances, something going on inside of you that maybe nobody else sees but you, if you catch it early enough, you can turn that into a strength. And what is a potential stumbling block to you today? can be your stepping stone. Remember this, every strength you have is a potential weakness. And every weakness you have is your potential strength. And it's constantly monitoring that that will keep you uh, from being taken out of the race of life. Thank you, Pastor Coward. <clears throat> Pastor Del Turco. Thank you, Brother Dean. Uh, it's a great privilege to be able to uh, share with you today, and I thank you for this opportunity. Um, one of the things that I typically do at the end of a year is, um, this, as I did this particular fall, this past fall, I started reading again in the book of Acts, um, kind of going through the book of Acts, reading the book of Acts again, um, typically go through the Gospels, but I was going through the book of Acts and, and got stuck on Acts chapter 2 and didn't get very far, and these three words that I'll read to you in a minute just stuck out to my heart, and I knew that they were a word not only to me, but a word for our congregation, and the Lord began to deal with me about the church that he wanted me to build. Um, International Family Church is 28 years old. We started in 1981. And so it's not like we just started this yesterday, but it's, it's amazing how this new decade is going to bring about a, a whole new realm of things, like we're just starting over. I think a lot of you have noticed that, that there's something going on with this finishing of an old decade, the start of a new. Number 10 does mean it is a number for completion, entirety. Um, I don't have time to get into that right now. But um, So um, as I read 
these three verses, these three words over and over again, it reminded me of a story that I had read three years ago, and I wrote it down. It so impacted me, and I want to read it to you. And um, the story is about an ex-Baptist pastor who, after 20 years in ministry, had resigned and was now a barkeeper. He describes what led him to this radical decision. He said it was 20 years of soul-destroying ministry that put him and his wife on prescription medication. He described a church in which he felt completely responsible to persuade people to get involved, but they refused. He became worn out from the huge effort required to convince, persuade, remind, and sometimes beg people to get behind his vision, but they wouldn't. When he asked what he enjoyed about being a barkeeper, his reply hit me with a, like a ton of bricks. He said, I love this job because my drinkers are devoted all by themselves. All by themselves. He explained how he never had to persuade or remind his customers to come back. He never had to call his absent drinkers to assure them they were missed. Nor did he have to inspire them to part with their money. Finally, he said, my drinkers come early and stay late, but in, t <laughs> but in 20 years of ministry, the church didn't either. You know, I read that and sat there when I read that and thought, oh, my goodness, if this is not a picture of churches and at one time International Family Church. And interesting, he said he loved his job because his drinkers were, all, were devoted all by themselves. And I said, this is a picture of so many pastors' future unless they change their culture. Amen. Acts 2.42 was the verse I got stuck on. In the NIV version, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. I found myself reading those three words over and over again. I just was stuck. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And how many we know that that's not necessarily the culture of a lot of churches? It might be the culture of some people in our church, but not necessarily in the, in the totality of the church. I'll explain in a moment. I'll, I'll only mention this first point and get right to my second point for time. Uh, but here in Acts 2.42, I found the church I wanted to build, a self-devoted, responsibility-taking church. Amen. I think we can all say a big amen that that's the kind of church we want to build, is a self-devoted, responsibility-taking church. In the early church, the, devo the devoted, passionate, motivated, committed people, um, that devotion and passion came from the people. Now, over 2,000 years later, the devotion has been transferred from the people to the leaders. Now, we leaders spend hours and hours and days and staff and money and, and countless hours and sleepless nights doing what? Trying to help our people get devoted more than they want to be devoted themselves. And how many know how that's very frustrating? How many know that's very overwhelming to be in that kind of situation? And I fully understand the responsibility of taking care of the sheep. I love pastoring. I've got a great staff. Um, taking care of those that we have, those that we reach out with the gospel. Um, but honestly, what's not right is when we're more devoted in, in making them who they're supposed to be than they are themselves. And so that's all I'll say about that. There's a whole other subject on that. But but number one, the church I want to build and the church the Spirit of God was dealing with me about is a self-devoted responsibility-taking church. 
Then number two, um, thinking about Moses, Moses had hundreds of teachers, elders, tribal leaders, um, uh, and his own brother and sister on staff, but yet we find out in Numbers 11, he felt extremely alone. So his sense of loneliness was nothing to do with staff. His sense of loneliness had nothing to do at this point with how many people he had surrounded him with. It was much deeper than that. Moses used a very interesting word in describing his dilemma, describing the challenge uh, and the cry of his heart. And it was a simple word, and it was the word carry, C-A-R-R-Y, carry. And we find out his heart in Numbers 11. Let me read it to you. Numbers 11, 10 through 15. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and, the, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to a land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. How many of us felt the same way? If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. He felt alone in carrying the burden. But listen, he didn't feel alone in leadership. He didn't feel alone in company. He didn't feel alone in relationship. He felt alone in carrying. Now, the second point in the church I want to build is I'm looking for leaders who possess a carrier spirit. Leaders who possess a carrier spirit. I've learned that not all leaders are carriers, and not all carriers are the recognized leaders. Interesting. You can have many leaders, but few of them are really carrying anything at all. Although as a, as a leadership team, we might be handling the same load, but few of them seem to be lifting anything. It's like a piano going up a flight of stairs. Everyone looks like they're carrying it, but only a few are bearing the strain. Sound familiar? Not all who touch the load are carrying the load, even though they look like they are. Hmm. Badges, titles, um, appearances, all seem to do what? Describe a person's responsibility, but not necessarily does that mean that they're bearing the load. Bearing the load. Moses had lots of leaders, but very few carriers. In fact, my new definition of leadership is true leaders are carriers. Doesn't that work? Amen. There's a big difference between carriers and non-carriers. Real brief, carriers have a keen sense of responsibility. Carriers see litter in the parking lot and don't assume, oh, the church hires somebody to take care of that. They pick up the litter themselves. Carriers notice a dirty carpet, notice confusion, and while they're even on their way somewhere else, they'll stop and take care of that because they have a carrier spirit. Carriers notice a new person that might not, that's distracted not knowing where to go. They don't wait for the greeters or the ushers to take care of it. They have a carrier spirit, so they take care of it themselves. Carriers notice waste, excess, carelessness, sloppiness, which drives them crazy. They notice all these things as they pass through the building, even though their minds are supposed to be on bigger things. Carriers see the bigger picture and notice the paper on the floor. 
carriers are amazing people, and you can't build a church without them. They see the big picture, yet they don't miss the paper on the floor. Isn't that refreshing to have a, a church full of leaders in that way? The immature only carry what they need. The mature carry their responsibility, plus they're not afraid to carry some more. And maturity, I don't know about you, but in my house, you know, two children, um, it never fails. When there was an empty cup on the countertop and you asked a question, whose cup is this? <laughs> World War III always broke out. Well, that's her cup. No, that's his cup. That's her cup. That's his cup. See, immaturity makes a big deal that it wasn't their cup. But a mature person doesn't care whose cup it is. They just put it away. Hallelujah. That's a carrier spirit. Amen. That's a carrier spirit. Amen. Now, ending with this, let's don't leave Moses hanging, wanting to die. Um, <laughs> God's answer to Moses is found in Numbers 11, 16 and 17. said this simply, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's leaders, Israel's elders, who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand with you there. Here comes. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Isn't that good news? And that's the good news. And I took several weeks with our congregation and taught them this and asked them, to be carriers and our leaders to step up and there's a whole another realm of that but prayed over our leaders prayed over our people that that same spirit that's on me that same spirit on my wife and I and on our executive team will be on them and my prayer for you this year is may a carrier spirit be on you and and your church this year in 2010 so we can get a whole lot more done for Jesus and uh, so God bless you thank you Pastor Whitfield. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, that was awesome from you two guys, and thank you for that word. And, and I also joined them to say what an honor it is for me to be sitting here uh, speaking to you uh, because every person here has a purpose. Every person here has a calling. Every person here has a destiny, and there are great destinations that God has in store for you to reach and to achieve. Amen. The thing that I've learned since 1997 in coming in contact with Dr. Radke is there was so much more that God had in store for me than I had any clue about. But I would not know how to reach those destinations. First of all, if I didn't do what Pastor Coward said, and that is reach up in order to be able to reach out. And then secondly, if I didn't do what Dean has been talking about all morning, and that is to release it to others. And as Pastor Del Turco just said, that we release it to others so they can carry it for us. But the things that God has been speaking to me is twofold. One is that, you know, we'll be 28 years old on March the 7th, be our 28th anniversary. And uh, 26 of those years, almost 25 and a half of those years, uh, I, I, uh, I didn't do much in discipleship as far as ministering to our congregation concerning making disciples. And so the Lord just ministered in my heart that we needed to concentrate in 2009, that we needed to concentrate on discipleship. 
But what we realized in that is that word was given to me on discipleship. I brought it to my team. And as my team began to work the process that we've all been taught, and we began to minister to the Lord concerning it, we came out of that meeting with a new word. And uh, now I make up words when I preach, but, uh, and, uh, but this was a new word, praise God. But it was a word that the Lord gave us for our congregation, and it was disciple shift. And it was the same shift that Jesus made when he ascended to heaven. If you know, for three and a half years, he had discipled his disciples, if you will. For three and a half years, he had taught them, ministered to them, and sent them out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Told them not to go to the Gentiles, not to go to the cities of Samaria, but to minister to those of their own kind, if you will. Well, for so many years, that's what I had done as a pastor. And that is, I had ministered to mainly Christians. And that I had preached messages on Sunday morning that dealt more with, because I, hey, when I got saved, I needed somebody to give me some hope and help me get from one week to the next week. Hallelujah. But then, and that's the way I ministered. That's the way I preached. You know, I was a faith preacher, a victory preacher, a shouting preacher. And come on, if you can't make it this week, if you hear this message, you're going to make it till next Sunday. Glory to God. And so that's the kind of messages that I preached. But yet the Lord dropped down in my heart that Jesus had to make a shift in what he had taught his disciples. Mm -hmm. And so for three and a half years, he sent them to that lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now he's leaving to go to the, be the right, at the right hand of the God, the Father Almighty. And he releases his ministry to them, but he gives them a, the greatest shift that had ever taken place that year. I, I mean, at, at that time. He said, now... I want you to go to uh, some Jerusalem, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth, and I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. It was a shift. Now, the word shift here, now listen to this. The word shift here means a change in position. So these disciples had to change their position in what they thought concerning the world. They had to change their position in what they saw and how they were looking at the world because now they were going to make disciples of the world. It also means a change in attitude. They had to change their attitude toward the Gentile. As you know, they didn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. They didn't want to associate with them. And many Jews walked by uh, the man on the road, but the good Samaritan came by. And they also got upset when Jesus was talking for, to the woman from Samaria. So they had to shift, if you will. They had to change their attitude. I'm telling you, the church has to change its attitude toward the world. We've got to have the attitude of Jesus toward those that are bound, toward those that are lost, toward those that are in homosexuality. We've got to change our attitude. And our attitude has got to be that we are here for them, to minister to them, and to take Jesus to them. The third thing that shift means is that it's a change in judgment so you know it's time the church quit judging those that are in sin it's time the church quit judging those that are different than us and quit judging each other also amen that we have to have a shift or a change if you will in our judgment in the way we see different races the way we, we've got 20 i mean excuse me we've got 29 different um uh, nations represented in our church hallelujah and we have a multi-racial multi-cultural church 
And so we have to make sure that we change our attitude and our judgment on what we, and how we look at people that they may be different than we are. Amen. Amen. And so, and then the last thing that the word uh, shift means is a, <clears throat> a change in emphasis. A change in emphasis. And this is what the Lord put on my heart, and that is that we had to change our emphasis that church is no longer about us. When, we, when you get born again, and you, and you get born again and you come to church, it should be no longer about you. It should be about you coming to be equipped to go out and find the lost, to go out and minister to the hurting, and that you should come yes, to do exactly what put into practice all these principles that we've just learned, to be carriers, if you will, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, and then to see who we can minister to and not who can minister to us. Amen? Amen. And then the, the, the second thing that the Lord has been dealing with me about is exactly what these guys said and what Pastor Del Turco just said. It's strange to say a church that's 28 years old is laying a foundation. But I believe 2010 is such a foundational laying year for our future and for where the body of Christ is headed. And I believe that throughout this year, we in the body of Christ are going to be laying a wider, deeper, stronger foundation upon what we've already laid so that we can truly see the return of the Lord and so that we can see the harvest come in. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. And I want you to know these, these principles absolutely work. And without these principles, we would not be where we are today. Hallelujah. Thank you. God bless you. Before we go round two, I, uh, I don't know why I brought this along, but I, it was in a prospectus, that I, the very first prospectus that I did uh, some 14 years ago, and you were one of the earlier recipients, and, and uh, the, I brought this along, and I just felt led to oh, just throw it in there, you know. Well, when Pastor Del Turco read about uh, the bartender, uh, this was an ad that, I, that was in Charisma Magazine in uh, October of, looks like 1997. And it says, Minister wants church to pastor again or resort motel to manage. Experience, 59 years old, been in 50 states, seven courtrooms, pastored in four states, pleasant and won't go anywhere. <laughs> Post office box, 460 Bloomington, Georgia. <laughs> I don't know. That had nothing to do with what we're doing here, but uh, I figured we needed a few laughs. <laughs> okay, round two, and then we're going to take a break after this round, and uh, then we'll do one more. But uh, round two is um, what are you intentional about? What are you as serial entrepreneurs, visionaries, facilitators, what has God been speaking to you? What is he challenging you to do? Now that you, you haven't arrived, but now that you've got the max and you've maxed the system, what is God challenging you to do now? How is he stretching you? And how is he able to give you more because of the work you've done to get in the position that you're in today? What is that? Okay, um, I've identified, basically I've got top seven things, new endeavors, priorities, um, initiatives. Uh, the very first thing is to continually refine and develop 
our leadership model as it's been presented in the maximum CEO. Let me say this about those principles. Uh, where you're at this year and where you're going to be at six months from now and 12 months from now is going to be different. So you'll hear this exact same material over and be at a different level. And as it was mentioned, you know, uh, the Steelers took the Super Bowl last year but didn't even make the playoffs this year. And I think leadership is a lot like that. Football teams don't look for newfangled ways to throw the ball or different things like that. They continually have to improve on what they know. It's execution of what they know. Right. <clears throat> and one of the things that I find is that if we're not careful, we'll kind of celebrate our victory. And then the next thing, you know, we're not even making the playoffs next go around. And so one of the things is to go back, and I don't even know how many times I've been through this. I know Pastor Whitfield may hold the all-time record for CEO workshops. Um, I think he has a Super Bowl ring for that. 43, my God. But let me tell you, you will never outgrow it because you're going to be at a different level. So my challenge is, is, is understanding this. Every new level of growth that you experience is giving you new levels of challenges. And so we're going back and uh, going over these things, and that's something I've really committed myself to, especially with the materials being available like they are now. <clears throat> As Dean always says, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is it gets worse. The good news is you get better. Amen. And so I have really established that as a priority to continually to go back over these. Secondly, something on our, our radar that the Lord has really brought us into is uh, multi-site campuses. I believe this is the move of God for our nation. We have a deficit of leadership in where God is finding leadership, lead pastors, I believe there is a need, and it is an incredibly efficient and effective way to extend your leadership into areas through multi-sites. You're going to be blessed during this time to hear, I believe, uh, one of the top leading consultants in that area in our nation, Jim Tomberlin. And when you hear his story, when I first heard it, I recognized that was God's destiny on his life from the very beginning. So in the last two years... Um, the Lord brought that along, you know, it was pretty much, we had one church, and we're just trying to get that thing stabilized, growing, effective, and then all of a sudden, I was sitting around, and it was like Lynn and I were thinking, isn't life good? You know, we've gotten our life back through these leadership principles, and, and it's like, man, this is like kind of the dream we had, and you know, you started thinking that way, and all of a sudden, the Lord kind of knocked on the door, and then said, let me show you why I gave that to you. And then all of a sudden it was like he opened the door in multi-sites. And then all, I think it was within about 10 months, we added three more uh, campuses for a total of four. But I want to tell you this, we could have never seized that opportunity, nor do I believe that opportunity would have ever presented itself if we hadn't had these principles in place, which is why, number one, we're going back to continually to work that, to incorporate it, to bring it into our lives. So multi-site campuses, and one of the things we want to do is see each campus pastor reach their full potential, maximize the potential of each uh, multi-site. And I want you to know America has acres of diamonds in the area of churches that are struggling. Um, unfortunately, we have a problem in our nation 
with Islam, and uh, the statistics were a couple of years ago that every eight days a new mosque opened. But the later statistics I've heard more recently are every five days a new mosque opens, and many of those mosques are churches that have closed their doors. And I believe there are buildings and campuses and properties all over America that have your name on them. But you've got to get that basic training down in you. And then secondly, the, the multi-site campuses for us is really uh, our focus and focus upon the unique opportunities. Interestingly, we have two campuses in Colorado Springs, one in Denver area in the Littleton and one in, in Liberal, Kansas. And trust me, Liberal, Kansas is different than Littleton. Colorado, the Denver area, as is Colorado Springs. And our two campuses in Colorado Springs are different. We're on the east side of Colorado Springs, and then we are also in the southwest part of Colorado Springs, so very different. Thirdly is prayer. Uh, Mark eleven seventeen, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Ask this question. How many churches do you know that when somebody mentions them, they're known because they pray? And that really hit me in Mark chapter 11, that Jesus said, my house is going to be known as a house of prayer for all nations. And he said, but you've made it a den of thieves. I looked that word thieves up. It's a Greek word that means to pirate, to use for something, to, to use something for other than what it was intended to be. So we really have this challenge to get it into our DNA. To be, not John G. Lake, I think it was, more importantly, he said, than to get people to pray is to get the spirit of prayer in them. So we want to do that. The fourth thing that is really a high priority for us is that of the Great Commission. That of the Great Commission. Every church should be a Great Commission church. Probably 95% of churches in America do not have a true Great Commission focus and here was an interesting thing that took place in 1995 at the Global Conference on World Evangelism. Uh, I think it was a Baptist brother that got up and began to weep, and he broke down and repented in front of all of these people in missions in that area. Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe they had spent millions of dollars gathering information on unreached, unengaged people groups. And they wouldn't share it with certain people because they might have been charismatic and they didn't see things. And as he broke and wept and said, I want to make that available, others began to come up and do the same thing. So Dr. Ralph Winter gathered that information, put it together, and uh, the report, what I had heard was, based on data, they determined that the body of Christ is 20 to 21 times stronger than it needed to be to finish the task of the Great Commission. Now that was in the mid-90s. At that time, there were 600 churches in existence for every unreached, unengaged people group. One report I have says there's 638 unreached, unengaged people groups. There were 600 churches in existence for every one of those groups. Today, there are 1,000. What do you think would happen? That's do you right. think 1,000 churches could take on an unreached people group? I think we can do it, and I think we should all become Great Commission Christians and Great Commission churches, and so that's what we are focusing on um, in what Dean has said. God's the, the general partner. We're the limited partner, and we should be checking with him about our investment of time, efforts, and energies, and so uh, 
we're working on a reproducible missionary track because each of you as pastors have people in your church right now that are called to the mission field and if we as pastors do not challenge them and give them the opportunity to identify that, set up short-term trips, they'll never know it. If they never know it, they'll never answer it. And 80% of all missionaries on the field today uh, took a short-term missions trip. So we are tying our short-term trips into long-term strategic vision, become very intentional, knowing that these principles that we're being taught can work in reaping the harvest because the most important thing is that we accomplish the Great Commission. Uh, fifth and final thing I'll at least share this is profitability within the ministry. I am the Lord that teacheth thee to profit. One of our board members and, and uh, Brother Dean is one of our trustees and we have wonderful times together and, and Glenn Henderson presented an, uh, a challenge to my thinking. He said, how would you like to take all the tithes and offerings and use them just for ministry? That didn't take me long to answer that question. I just said, how would you propose that happens? And he says, the church has to change its mind in how it does things. How much do you spend on printing? How, what, what opportunities do you have? Can you put a daycare up that will bless the community and bring income into the church? But the Lord is, you know, he is the original Hebrew. How many of you know that? God is, he does know how to make a profit. And he said, I'm the Lord that teaches you to profit. And uh, my wife has told me, you give everything away. You know, and I am a sower. And there is a uh, place to sow, Correct. But we need to know how to be profitable, and so that's one of the things that we're doing. We have business opportunities. We have a daycare, Aspen Creek Academy in Littleton that is growing, thriving, producing income. We're getting a business plan for one in Colorado Springs, and you're going to reach out in your community, and you know there will be people come to your church that they drove past you every day and didn't even know you were there until they dropped their precious little kiddos off at your place, and that's a light in the community. Um, and we've got educational focus and some other things, but... Those are the things that uh, are on our heart right now that we believe the Lord is, is speaking to, to make a high priority. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Um, I'll just go over several of them. One of the, uh, the first things that, um, first two, uh, Mark already mentioned, uh, prayer and the urgency of the, of the harvest. Um, and, you know, prayer is the engine of the church. Um, and not only just praying, just to pray, but to actual model prayer, to raise up prayer warriors through modeling, through teaching. Um, we have a very strong small group um, system in our church. Everything fl flows through our life group system. And so through life groups, um, we've talked to some of our prayer people and just really desiring to model and raise up a whole nother generation of people who know how to pray. Um, and prayer is, their, is part of their life. And not, we're not trying to make it just like in, um, in, in the harvest. You know, a lot of churches have an outreach department. But how many know outreach is not just a department? It's for everyone. Amen. And prayer shouldn't be just a department either. Amen. It needs to be church-wide. And, and so modeling that and the urgency of, of a harvest church um, is very important. And I'll just mention those two things that we are, we're going to work real hard uh, we have a, a strategic plan in the works to really help our people to become uh, people of prayer and the urgency of the harvest. Another thing is to train and empower a new generation of leaders. Um, we're going to be working very diligently. We have in place uh, times and uh, places to be together. Uh, to, we're in the process of still maximizing um, the, the, 
the, the systems uh, to set those in place. This is our year to really finalize some things uh, and, and to uh, train up these new leaders to continue to maximize. Um, I've always looked and, and, and is blessed and worked real hard at cross-generational leadership, meaning my dad has, has been in the ministry over 50 years. Um, at one time, he oversaw 6,000 churches. He's, uh, he was in charge of a denomination and so on and so forth. And, and to have him on staff is an amazing blessing. He's 78, going to be 79. Um, there's a bunch of us that are, you know, crumpled around 40s and 50s, and we got a, a, a bunch right raising up the 25 to 30-year-olds. And um, there's no, as far as I'm concerned, the stability of a church is cross-generational leadership. Amen. Um, and drawing from every age group, mm-hmm. everybody has a different understanding. There's, there's the stability of what's, been, what's happened in the past, this, the stability of what's happening today, and to, and to be revolutionary um, in where we're headed. And um, I, I've learned, it's not unique to me, but I've learned that I don't want to be relevant. I want to be revolutionary. Yeah. Relevant, all relevant means is you are, you are with today. You're not necessarily leading anywhere. Um, and I always said it too, you know, a, a relevant church is a church that, an irrelevant church is a church that's not important. But, but it's more than just being relevant. It's being revolutionary. And I believe you can't be revolutionary unless you have young people um, in the decision-making process helping you understand there's something about their revolutionary spirit that needs to be modeled, not, not made fun of or put in some back room, but actually mined. And I'm looking forward to mining um, some of this amazing uh, opportunity. Um, and so we're working real hard at that. The Lord told me years ago, to, I need to pastor a church full of leaders, not a church full of followers. Um, pastoring a church full of leaders will take longer, but in the long run, you accomplish more. And so that's an ongoing process. Connections. Very, very important um, connections. I'm talking about I have the privilege of pastoring pastors um, and, and desiring to continue to pastor pastors. I pastor missionaries. I love pastoring missionaries. Um, I'm a, um, my, my parents are missionaries. I lived on a mission field for some years. And so I love missionaries. Uh, we we um, work with some 28 different missionaries around the world. I love visiting their places. Um, New England, and obviously the parts of the world that God's called us to, is our area. Uh, so the connections with pastors um, through media, another step up with media. My son is in charge of our media department. Um, just connecting through Facebook, through uh, uh, podcasts, through um, you know, um, all the various aspects and things that are available to us to make a, a much better impact um, on um, our media and on our websites. Um, and so... Uh, getting our Bible training center on, online, um, you know, the, the connections to, to working all these things out. So, uh, and then the other thing, and I'll end with this one, is we too feel very strongly about multi-sites. Um, I'm north of Boston. I'm about 16 miles north of Boston. I'm only about 45 minutes from the border of New Hampshire. Um, I, can't go, I can't go east anymore because it'll go into the ocean. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's, so the three opportunities for me is, of course, north, west, and south, and so we're looking very seriously and couldn't think of a better uh, opportunity to be with uh, the right people this week to uh, learn more about the, the, the multi-sites. That's why you train a whole other generation. That's why you work hard with teams and praise and worship teams. All these that we've been taught is the reason why we can do all this. Um, so thank you again. I can't thank you enough, uh, Dr. Racky, for all that you helped us to do. So that's some things in a nutshell. We have quite a busy year ahead of us. Uh, a lot of planning, a lot of building, 
um, and and uh, looking forward to doing it. So thank you. Thank you. I just want to add one thing there. The with the team model and building team leaders. They come out of the chute as entry-level leaders, then they become team leaders, learn how to build an, uh, anything, but build a ministry. And one of the things that blesses me so much is when I see young people in their early 20s, uh, and their team has people my age on it, and they respect them because they're working this process. So this, this works, and, with the, and we're training a new generation of leaders. And young people, they're so, as he said, revolutionary, but energetic. And they get, when they get this, they latch onto this. So get your young people and the, and the more uh, seasoned, uh, uh, older people, latch right onto that. It doesn't matter. They're not troubled by that anymore. Okay. That's awesome. Go Amen. for it. Well, if I don't say prayer, I'll be out of the loop here. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, but, uh, Amen. but you know. We started our church March of 7th, 1982, and, and uh, people kept saying, what's your vision, Pastor? What's your vision? What's your vision, Pastor? What's your vision? I said, I don't know. You know, preach the word, get people saved. I, you know, I don't know. I had no clue. Uh, I didn't know what a vision was. And, uh, but on June the 21st, 1982, I, I was in Norfolk, Virginia on business. I was still traveling at that time with uh, CBS, and, and I had no business for a couple of days. And and I uh, said, I, I'm not leaving this room, Lord, until you give me a vision for Agape Faith Church and Clemens and the surrounding area. And uh, I've been praying for about three and a half hours, excuse me, and uh, laying on the floor praying and worshiping God. And suddenly I was surrounded by a supernatural light. And God said, write this vision down. And I wrote it down. I carry it with me wherever I go. And he gave me a five-point vision that, um, that he wanted us to accomplish and to bring to pass. Well, uh, I want you to know that we started uh, working toward that vision and, and moving out doing the vision. But until I learned these principles that we've been taught here, uh, most of that vision did not come to pass. But in 1997, when I met Dr. Radke, and we, we, uh, <clears throat> we started moving with the vision and growing with the vision, Dr. Radke told me I needed to look ahead. You know, I knew the vision was for the final destination of the church, but I didn't know when it was going to come to pass. Didn't know how it was going to come to pass. But I know that Dr. Ratke said, now you've got to look ahead. You know, you need to look down the road for a year. What are you going to be in a year? Dr. Radke, what about next month? Hallelujah. I mean, I, I couldn't think a year. But then we started looking ahead on a year. And then another pastor friend of mine shared with me that he said, you've got to, you know, you've got to look ahead five years now. You, you need to share with the church what you're going to be like five years from now. So on, on September the 18th, 2000, I was praying, and the Lord gave me a five-year vision. He said, you tell the church within the next five years, you're going to be a teaching-slash-training center. You're going to be a counseling center. You'll be a mission center, uh, local and foreign, and you will be a revival center. I thought, glory to God. Well, those five years have come and gone. Hallelujah. And we are that now. But as we began to go higher with the process and begin to look out into the future, we realized we had to do more than a year. We had to do more than five years. And so this past July, I, I began to pray and to seek God. First of all, the only thing I got for 2010 was reach. I got one word for this year was reach. 
And the word that I got for 2010 was that we're going to reach up so we can reach out. So in all of our ministries that we've established the goals for all the ministries is, how are they, how are the ushers going to reach more? How's the music ministry going to reach more? And so forth. So throughout our ministry, this year we're concentrating on reach. However, what Dr. Radke and I had talked about and what he shared with me was, we got to look ahead more than this year. So in July, the Lord gave me a 10-year vision. Matter of fact, I was supposed to share it with our church on the 31st of uh, January, but we got snowed out. I did share with our leaders on the 29th on that Friday night, but I want to just share with you what this process will help you do and the level that it will raise you up to begin to look out to. And so the Lord gave me a 10-year vision as to where we're headed within the next 10 years and what we're going to accomplish. And, uh, and I'll just tell you what I told our church. It's huger than anything I've ever accomplished or anything I've ever seen done. And I know that it's going to take, it's, we're going to have to have faith. We're going to have to have carriers. We're going to have to have prayer. We're going to have to have it all in order to see it come to pass. But you know, the vision that God gives you is a vision that the, one of the words Habakkuk said, write the vision and make it plain. The word write there means uh, describe it, inscribe it, and then it means to prescribe. In other words, it's a prescription for you and for your future. Then it means subscribe. So what that means is, you know, I used to have a subscription to uh, a magazine. But, you know, I never got that subscription. They did not mail it to me until I signed for it, until I paid for it. And if you allow your vision to be, if you describe it, and if you will inscribe it, and then you allow it to be your prescription for your future, for where you're headed, and everything that you're doing, God will send those in to sign for it and to pay for it. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 And he always has. And so the 10-year vision fits Amen. right in with the vision he gave me on June the 21st and the vision that he gave me on, on, uh, uh, in, in, on uh, September the 18th, 2000. It's just added to it. And he gave me some more about our counseling center what our counseling center is going to be like in, in 10 years, that it'll be in a separate, even a separate facility. Counselors that we've trained to where people can come and, and receive counseling, not only from here in our church, but from this community. And then uh, our, he told me what our mission concentration was going to be like over the next 10 years. Told me where to concentrate, and especially with orphans and with orphanages around the world and, and the different nations that he gave me and told me that we were to concentrate in those nations with orphans that's pure undefiled religion glory to God is to visit the widows and the orphans and within the next 10 years I'm so excited about those kids and those children that we're going to affect all over the world even with this leadership but affect them because of it and then also impact university we started a university accredited university uh, several years ago uh, Pastor Barr has worked and the team has worked diligently to get it to the level to where it is and offering bachelor's degrees and master's degrees in theology. But this past year, we started our intern program to where we've got day students. But what we're going to do within the next 10 years, and these interns are learning the process and learning how to work it, but what we're going to do within the next 10 years through Impact University is to establish our track system, if you will, to, to establish this, uh, tracks to where pastors can come. You know, you graduate from Bible school, you've got a lot of knowledge, but you don't have a clue what to do. 
And so we want to make sure that Amen. anyone that comes in, they know what to do. They know what ministry is about. Same thing with missions and the same thing with uh, counseling and so forth. And then also, the Lord spoke to me in July and said, within the next 10 years, you'll have four campuses. And so I'm really excited about this meeting also for the satellite campuses. And he told me the directions and told me where they would be and what we would be doing uh, and how we'd be doing it. And then one of those is that, that uh, within the next 10 years, we will establish Agape City Church, uh, uh, which is in Winston-Salem. And uh, along with that will be a dream center. You know, they got them in L.A., they got them in New York. I called our mayor and talked to our mayor, and I said, I want to help you all wipe out homelessness in, in Winston-Salem, glory to God, so I need you to give me a building. But anyway, <laughs> hallelujah. But then, but, then the, but then the last thing that over the next 10 years that the Lord has is, is to us is that we, we've got to do something right here with this campus, and we've got to expand this campus. And Dr. Atke asked me to show a picture. I don't know if they can or not, but, but uh, we're going to expand this campus here. And uh, three things that we're going to do with the expansion of this campus is that we're going to, we've got to eliminate congestion, that we've got to create uh, community, and we've got to increase connection. There it is. And you see the era? That's where we are right now. Where that area is, that's the building that we're in at this moment. Within the next 10 years, that's going to look just like that. Which is behind that which, one. Which, which, yeah, which is behind that. So, praise God. Amen? So, but it's going to take faith. It's going to take prayer. And I just encourage you, I encourage you to reach out, stretch out further in vision. Stretch out further. Allow God to take you Man. further than you've ever been before. And if you've got a vision now... God won't replace the vision you have now. He'll just add to it and build on it. Amen. And uh, I'm telling you, I, I think the next decade, I think the next decade is going to be the most exciting decade we have ever lived in as the church. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Amen. See, this system that God taught me in the corporate world, yes, in the corporate world, they just know how to do this better than we do in the body of Christ. But he taught me this system in the corporate world, and he's taught it to me in, when I served in a mega ministry. We had a five-fold increase in six years when we put this system in place. So you can see the excitement. You can see what God can do, what God's pouring into these gentlemen because they built the system. They've maximized the system. And that's where God now can do so much more and that's what they want and I want for you. I wanted you to hear that because I want you to get a vision. I want you to, to uh, uh, get, get excited about what God wants to do with you. Yes, it's hard work getting that system in place. Yes, it's hard work, but it's worth it because you get to a point like this where things are now starting to blow out and you have excitement, you have peace, you have time to be with God, you're back in prayer like it used to be. You're worth your first love. Now, there's one thing that you guys probably haven't realized, and that is it's really hard to sit here a long time in a chair, you know, listening to somebody. <laughs> so we're, we're going to take a break. 